Not even a pandemic can slow Madison's building boom. Nearly a half million people filed for unemployment benefits last month in Wisconsin as the coronavirus pandemic shut down countless businesses and clobbered the economy. And yet last week, developers unveiled a $125 million glass and stone tower that would go on the Capitol Square. It's unbelievable, really. I mean, I, I grew up in Detroit where there was nothing going on there for so long. And it seems like even in the worst of times, people still want to build in Madison. It's really a testament to the capital city's allure for developers and our quality of life. Well, today on Center Stage with Milford and Hands, the Wisconsin State Journal's political podcast from the Sensible Center of Wisconsin Politics, we're going to talk about the urban land interest proposal and whether or not the city of Madison, notoriously picky, might deep six it because of historic preservation concerns. And to give us more insight and a prediction on what's going to happen, our special guest is Stuart Levitan, the former leader of the Madison Landmarks Commission. And frequent guest star in editorial cartoons. I'm Scott Milford. I'm the editorial page editor for the Wisconsin State Journal. And I'm Phil Hands. I'm the editorial cartoonist for the Wisconsin State Journal. And we are half of the Wisconsin State Journal editorial board. The more historic half. Hey, wait, we're the younger half. (laughs) Scott, just go with the joke. All right. Urban Land Interests wants to dramatically revitalize the 10 block of North Pinckney Street across from the Capitol Square. Pandemic or no pandemic, it's moving forward and could hit the Landmarks Commission this Monday. They want to revitalize the block with 300,000 square feet of office space and a glass and stone tower. It would abide by the height limits around the Capitol, and it also would maintain the scale and historic feel of the streetscape for pedestrians walking down Pinckney. But one of the buildings, really two, that were connected in the 1970s, they're called Center 7, is a historic landmark and would need a demolition permit, which is why we have Stuart Levitan on the show today. He was the chairman of the Landmarks Commission for decades. He's a former journalist. He was on the Dane County Board, worked for the legislature, worked for the state as a mediator, went to law school, drove a cab, served on the Plan Commission, writes history books, hosts a Wart radio program, and loves the Grateful Dead. Stu Levitan, welcome to Center Stage with Milford and Hands. Back when I was making... Faints about running for mayor. Doug Mo did a profile of me and said, I'm on more committees than a doctor's wife. <laughs> <laughs> We're talking via a Zoom call today. I will say that one of the effects of the stay at home is that I am now starting to look like Phil's cartoons of, of, the, <laughs> of, the, of the ponytailed, balding liberals. I am I'm good still. The, I'm growing into the image, Phil. It suits you well. Well, thank you. Thank you. Well, Stu, Urban Land Interests, ULI, want to put up this giant development on the square. My first impression upon reading uh, Dean Moseman's first story on it, I think he's done two or three now and just this week, was, wow, we're in the middle of a pandemic and a developer still wants to do a $125 million project in downtown Madison. To me, that says something about Madison's attractiveness its vibrancy, its incredible run that it's had, that it, it doesn't even stall during a pandemic. 
am I giving Madison too much credit there or not? No, that, that's a good summary. The review process will be a little elongated because it's difficult to have the kind of meetings we used to have. And, and the, the city infra- technological infrastructure can only hold so many meetings at one time. And, and so the actual re- review process will play out differently than, than it would have. But no, it's a testament to Madison that it is still that attractive. It's a testimony to urban land interests that it has played the long game for a generation and and has stayed committed to it. Two other things I want to say, you mentioned Dean Moseman's stories. It's a testament to Madison that we still have daily newspapers that will give people this information and give it in a package. They go, oh, I see what that looks like. I understand that. And, you know, we're very lucky to have reporters like Dean uh, and, and papers like the State Journal who are still with us. And it's a testament to Madison that we have staff that will write an honest and potentially troublesome or problematic report to complicate things. Dean Moseman in the Wisconsin State Journal last week reported that city staff opposes the ULI bid to raise one of the buildings on the site where it wants to build, the Center 7 building, which is a landmark. There are a lot of cities where, in a situation like this, staff gets a $125 million project put on their desk, and the issue is, okay, how can I slide this through? It's not, okay, does this meet the standards? And I'm just so impressed with Heather Bailey I was, I was so impressed with Amy Scanlon, her predecessor, and to have staff that are willing to apply the standards rigorously and then leave it up to the policymakers to make the policy choices on whether or not to go one way or the other. I, that All that is a testament to Madison. Does it surprise you at all that so many proposals, not just the ULI development, are continuing to be brought forward, are continuing to pursue approval in Madison despite the pandemic? You know, the public market is moving ahead. We've got Madison Yards moving ahead. We've got the final phase of Union Corners. I mean, there are all these projects that are still moving ahead, even though nobody really knows where the bottom is or where this all comes out. Does that surprise you? Or because they're not putting all the money up right now, is that not an issue? Yeah. When people start writing checks and people start moving dirt, there's one thing about proceeding with the process and getting the approvals. So if the economic conditions are right, you can move ahead. I'm not surprised that we're doing that because hopefully things will come out where we can still do these things. But I don't think we know that yet. But, but it makes sense for the developers who are in it for the long game to at least continue to pursue the approvals. And it sounds like ULI has been planning this project for, for decades almost. Yes, that's why people moved to get 7 and 9 North Pinckney landmarked. I mean, that was 10, 10, 12 years ago that that landmark went through. You could not landmark it today because a project is already in, which is why people are gnashing their teeth over the Churchill building that nobody ever moved fast enough to to get a a nomination put together for the Churchill building before the Historical Society project moved to the point of, we want to tear it down. And the Churchill building, that's Madison's first skyscraper, right? Yes. Churchill building has statewide historic significance because it it was the impetus to the Capitol View Preservation Statute. Uh, So there's something of an irony of the Historical Society wanting to tear it down in order to build a better museum 
for state history. Yeah. Well, you, you know me, Stu. I'm not always the, on the side of historic preservation, but I yeah. thought it, I think it's pretty sad that, we're t- that Madison's going to lose its first skyscraper. I think that's kind of a shame. It is. And the unfortunate part is, as I understand it, that's not really part of the museum proposal. That's part of the condominium proposal that provides some of the economic ballast to, to support the overall project. Yeah. So, so it's not even part of the museum footprint. Oh, okay. Um, and and it would be nice if they could devote the architectural and engineering resources to shore up that building and and preserve it because it is it's an important building. I'm not sure though that it's uh, the sky is in fear of being scraped by this. It's not that <laughs> tall, is it? It was a it was a simpler time, Scott. It was a, it was a simpler time. It's like nine stories. Staying on the subject of historic preservation, but moving yeah. back to the original side of the square we were talking about, yeah. I run in front of those buildings twice a week usually. And that bank on the corner is just a beautiful structure. You know, I've been inside it. It's just amazing. And I'd love to see it have a use to the neighborhood. You're talking about the three-story American exchange structure built in 1871, which would be preserved and strengthened with a steel foundation under the ULI proposal. Yeah, it'd it'd be nice if the community could interact with that space. But the building next to it, which is sort of in question, I run past that every you know, twice a week. The Center 7 building, which ULI wants to take down. I never noticed it was pretty. <laughs> well, you know, the, only part was, the only part that's pretty is the second story, is, yeah, you know, the, um, the scallop stuff. This historic structure was ruined in the 70s, just, yeah, just brutalized. Yeah. Do we have to put up with this ugly 70s building because it's got some historic features that nobody can see from the street? That's the issue that's going to be before the Landmarks Commission and I think ultimately the, the city council. And part of the, the building is also its economic and cultural significance. You know, there's a commercial history that no longer is evident, but it's more historic inside. And when, when you see those cream city bricks, and, and you, you see that, that soft brick and you see, oh, yeah, this is what a building built in 1890 or 1907 looked like. This is what retail commerce on the square used to be. Mm-hmm. But, but then there are, hundred, there are only a couple dozen people who see that because it's on the inside. To the exterior, it has lost all its historic significance, but for that, that scallop stuff, uh, uh, you know, the terracotta on the second floor. Which sounds like the the proposal as it is would reuse that terracotta some way in the new structure. Yes. And so um, it might even be more visible from the street than it currently is. I don't know exactly how they would incorporate it, but the ULI people are pretty clever, and I'm sure they would do something interesting with it. Yeah. To the street level, it does not read as a historic building under any circumstances, under any conditions. Does that factor into the Landmarks decision then? On whether to grant its demolition. Yes, there's the threshold thing. It is a registered landmark, and therefore we have to go through the standards and the ordinance uh, and and the balancing test of does it meet the terms? And whether or not it's explicit in the ordinance, as individual commissioners and potentially ultimately the individual council members make that balance, they'll give a more historic building more weight than a less historic building. Certainly, the balancing test to, to grant a variance for this building will be different than the balancing test to tear down the American Exchange Bank. Yeah. And I mean, the, the, the test should be the same, but the, ba- but, the, but, the, but, the, but the conclusion will be different because the American Exchange Bank just exudes historic significance. It is historically significant to this day. You can see its architectural significance and its importance. 
seven to nine, you have to really look at it. And, and as an individual commissioner balances that public interest variance against the, the value of the building, the weight will be different depending on how they read the historic significance of the respective buildings. So the answer for the question tearing down American Exchange will be different than the answer tearing down seven to nine. So yeah, yes, and nobody's talking about tearing down American. No, Exchange, no, no, no. Right? But 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 this but this is a good way to answer your question. If it were the same project and it was tearing down American Exchange, the answer I guarantee would be different than the same project tearing down seven to nine. And and that okay. gets to the question of yes, the inherent value to the individual building in question is going to determine how you come out on that balancing. Stuart, you went through the whole Edgewater battle. To some degree, that was more about height. That, of course, went on for years. It was kind of bitter. It was difficult. Uh, You were on the Landmark Commission. Is this showing the signs of anything on that level of discordant views and a community debate? Or because of who these developers are, their track record and that it's not on water, height may not be the issue. Is this a easier project? How would you compare the It'll two? It'll be easier for a number of reasons. One, it's not in a residential neighborhood. And, and the issue with the Edgewater was not just the height, but the height and the masts. And, and the impact, uh, height mass and, and the traffic it would generate in a residential neighborhood. And those of us who opposed it at the Landmarks Commission, part of our reasoning was, it would have such an adverse impact on the neighborhood without any economic spinoff that would value the city as a whole. It would be great for the Edgewater people. It would probably generate a lot of room tax, but would not have any ancillary spinoff of economic development outside of its immediate footprint, while it would at the same time harm the neighborhood. That, 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 was, the, that was the crux of why Edgewater became so, such a flashpoint, so controversial. Here, we're not in a residential neighborhood. We have developers with almost an exemplary track record of a real deep-seated commitment to doing creative and clever things in downtown where they can rightly take credit for a significant part of the economic revival downtown. For those two reasons, it will be far less controversial, far less bitter. Also, we went through the process of amending the ordinance and I think have a very good balance between the Landmarks Commission's authority and the Common Council's authority and, and, and making it clear on what standards the council can overturn the commission and what the vote is. And I think that balance of power is more readily understood and accepted. So, so I, don't, I don't see this being anywhere near, nearly as controversial as, as Edgewater, no. What would Edgewater have looked like with the new landmarks or, ordinance? Since Edgewater looked like what it wanted all along, I, I don't think it, it would have been probably. Would the debate have been different? I mean, would it have been less caustic? You know, I'd, ha- I'd, I'd, I'd have to go back and, and really think about how the terms have changed. I, 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 I don't know because, uh, you know, I'd, I'd have to think about that, Phil. I, I don't know if it would have changed the debate because. The height and the mass was, was so overwhelming. And, and it, from my perspective as a landmarks commissioner, it clearly failed the test of the ordinance. I mean, the, the visually related 200 feet standard. I mean, we don't want to get in the Arcania, but it clearly did not deserve a, a certificate of appropriateness for the landmarks commission. It failed 
un- unquestionably. But as a older person, I might well have voted for it because they have a they have a different brief. They have a different stand. Their job is to see what is in the overall public interest. And you could make a reasonable argument that as bad as it could have been for the neighborhood from a citywide perspective, the broader public interest was benefited from that development. I think everyone played their role properly in the Edgewater debate. Does the new ordinance um, sort of play out? It sort of explains the roles of the council versus the Landmarks Commission much better, though, doesn't it? Like, yes. Yeah. You know, because I think that's sort of, I mean, I think it's great that we have a Landmarks Commission that is going to look out for buildings, and that's their only concern, right? You know, to preserve landmarks. Yeah. And yeah. then the council can come in after the fact and say, well, we're looking at other issues here, too. You know, I think that's probably a good way to work. Absolutely. That's that's why I think the new balance of power and 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 is is appropriate. Um, Did you give up power with that ordinance? Did landmarks give up power? We made it easier for the council to overturn us. We re- we reduced the supermajority to a simple majority. So from a, from a base definition, did we make it easier? Does the new ordinance make it easier for the council to overturn the commission? The answer is yes. So by one definition of power, uh, yes, the, the commission lost some power, but we have much better standards. We have much clearer standards and we have other things, you know, the demolition by neglect or aspect of the ordinance is a huge thing for, for that ordinance. So I, I, I think on balance, it's an exceptional ordinance that that really serves everyone's interests very well. In the terms of the proposal we're talking about now, the urban land interests, $125 million proposal, it sounds like the central debate is whether giving up some of the historic preservation is worth the larger project. But one thing we hear a lot about from readers of the newspaper, sometimes in letters to the editor, is they don't like all this glass downtown. That's an urban design commission issue. Now, it will become an issue of landmarks when they consider whether or not the new development is so large or visually intrusive as to adversely affect the historic um, aspect of the American Exchange Bank. And as far as I can tell, the only staff report right now is on the demolition. We don't have a staff report on the overall project. The glass issue, that's that's beyond my scope. I, 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 I don't pretend to have any architectural abilities. One reason that the Wisconsin State Journal editorial board has been strongly in favor of more density downtown and in a lot of different places is that it reduces the amount of urban sprawl out into the county and it makes transportation less harmful on the environment and easier for pedestrians and people to get to work, etc. Is that benefit from more density downtown, is that just a city council criteria that it can consider? Or does the Landmarks Commission somehow think about that too? We're kind of circling around what will be the ultimate question before the Landmarks Commission and ultimately, I think, the council. And that's how you define the public interest. What what do you have to show to get a public interest variance? And the question is whether or not the benefits to the general public substantially outweigh the strong public interest in preserving historic resources expressed in this chapter. That is the crux. That's that's 41197B. Does the benefit to the general the general public interest substantially outweigh the strong public interest in preserving historic resources? That is the question. That's the question that Heather Bailey answered no, who is the the, the preservation planner. 
She answered the question no, because she said it will primarily be a private benefit. That yes, there will be tax benefit, there will be property tax benefits, and yes, there will be employment, um, but it will, but but the economic benefit will accrue to urban land and its various tenants. A reasonable case could be made that increasing the property tax base, increasing employment downtown, adding new life. I mean, you can't get any more downtown than on the square. There's no more place that's mass transit friendly than on the square. And and a reasonable case could be made that those are substantial public benefits. And and that that is that is the question that each commissioner is going to have to determine how they evaluate the property tax base, the the added employment, the the street traffic, what it's going to mean for, for restaurants and, and the hospitality industry downtown, the lack of sprawl, all, all those things are part of the parcel of general public interest that each commissioner is going to have to say, okay, is, is all that worth getting rid of seven to nine North Pinckney? And I know there are at least some commissioners who will answer that question, yes. I don't know if a majority of commissioners will answer that question, yes. Um, but if a majority of commissioners answer that question, no, I'm relatively confident ultimately the Common Council would answer it, yes. As a preservationist... On the bench. I've been, I've been retired. I'm on the bench. Emeritus. Right. Commissioner Emeritus. Yes, thank you. <laughs> as, as you look at the buildings and what would be lost for history, does your heart break or is it really not that big a deal for you. I was promised I wouldn't have to take a stand. <laughs> <laughs> you don't have to. I just was trying to get at your heart. Um, yeah. Like um, Barbara Walters would do. Yeah, yeah. I want to make you cry. Would I be? What kind of tree would I be? Are, are you going to cry still? <laughs> well, if you ask me to be good to you, I, I, I will be. Uh, more than the architectural integrity of the building, what speaks to me is is the the historic narrative that's contained in the building that, yeah, 120 years ago, Olsen and Verhoeven were, were selling clothes here. Or, or, you know, 115 years ago, Harry Manchester started Manchester's here. And, and, and that historical narrative of retail on the square and, and, and then successive generations I mean, that, that, frankly, that speaks to me more than just the, you know, the walls and the bricks, because I consider myself more of a historian than a preservationist. I was on the Landmarks Commission. I was there for the historical narrative. And, and that's the thing that speaks to me about this building even more, more than, oh, look at these lovely, you know, sandstone cream city bricks. And I think historically, this building has the last Quiznos subs in Madison in it too. <laughs> <laughs> now, see, if it had a Rockies, that would have been something. But yeah. if, it's, if it's just got a you know Quiznos, I look at a lot of historic photos for the what we said historical feature that we do each week. It's fun to see some of those storefronts, particularly the bank that's there, to see those in an old photo from the 1800s and then to walk by it the next day and it looks the same, you really do get a sense of Madison and time and, and what we are and what we've become. Now, I don't know if you can see this, but I, I just picked up um, Madison, the Illustrated Sesquicentennial History. I got that page, book. And on page 153, here's a picture of North Pinckney Street yeah. in 1905. Yeah. Here's some of those buildings that, yeah. that are still there. And when you 
I mean, th th this is the this is the significance of historic preservation is it ties you to your community to generations that can no longer speak for themselves and their buildings speak for them. When you go around the square and you see, oh, why is it the American Exchange Bank? Because it used to be the German American Bank and they changed its name during World War One. And you and you get to the YMCA and you think about the Belmont Hotel and you and you walk around the the blocks and and the past generations speak to you through their mm -hmm. buildings. That is, you know, we don't do this just because the buildings are pretty to look at. We do this to preserve the narrative of those former generations so we remember our stories that's that's what we do it for yeah at the same time i remember doing a story for the state journal in the late 90s walking down king street and the only thing i could find to purchase was a candy bar or popcorn at the majestic so i mean yeah. change in development though has really brought a lot of vibrancy back to downtown, and some of that has been at the cost of, of of some of the historic feelings we have. I mean, there is a balance here, right? Yeah. The building that Block 89 replaced replaced a building that was built by our first mayor. I mean, the Fairchild building stood you know, into the 1950s. It stood from the 1850s to the 1950s. It, it, there, there are buildings on the square that predate Madison's incorporation as a city. Mm -hmm. there, there are buildings on the square that go back before 1856. And there are buildings from the, you know, the 19 teens. And, and every so often you, you get somebody who says, okay, I can create a landmark for the next generation, you know, but yeah, it's a balancing to, to you know, bring it back to North Pinckney street. Is this development and all it contains going to be worth giving up? a building that has already had its architectural significance severely compromised. We, we know that ultimately it'll get approved. Whether it's by the Landmarks Commission or the council, this will be approved. I would be very surprised if it's not. Okay, that sounds good to me. I haven't talked to people on Landmarks. I wouldn't be surprised if it's rejected at Landmarks. And I think Brad and Tom Newyar have done a really good job about being upfront. We're going to Landmarks and, you know, if we lose at Landmarks, we're going to the council. Mm -hmm. And they're not making it an us-against-them thing. Well, on Sunday, you can look in the Wisconsin State Journal for our editorial board's view of this development. We're pretty upbeat and positive about it, though I am curious to find out how much they want in TIF, that is, public assistance for the underground parking. Stuart, before we go, how do you feel about Phil Hands drawing you in cartoons? It's been a long time since since I had a ponytail. <laughs> but but it's coming back. It's coming back, so I'm, I'm, I'm growing into my caricature, so that's See, the character of the ponytail guy existed before I really knew Stu, and and then when I when I met Stu, and uh, we kind of we kind of hit it off as as fellow deadheads, I sort of just went with it from there, and sort of <laughs> Stu's personality got imbibed into the character, but um, it sort of predated Stu, but you made it a lot richer. Well, I appreciate that, Phil. Is there anybody in Madison you don't know, Stu? Oh, there's some who will deny knowing me, so. <laughs> <laughs> Our theme music is by Tube Tester. Find and follow Center Stage with Milford and Hands on your favorite podcasting app or at go.madison.com slash center stage. And to subscribe to the Wisconsin State Journal Digital Edition, just like Stu Levitan does, 
Go to madison.com slash subscribe now. You can get your first three months for just three bucks. And you'll be supporting more than 40 journalists in our newsroom, most of whom are working from home these days and out in the community.